0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
1: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
2: And I'm Lucinda Lonick. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, October 20th, 2022.
1: Later in the program, we have some updates from the Community Justice Response Committee on the potential new jail site on Fullerton Pike. More in the bottom half of our program.
2: Also coming up in the next half hour, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb said he would not follow President Biden's lead to pardon those convicted for simple cannabis possession. That's coming up in your State House Roundup.
1: Good afternoon. This is your State House Roundup. For WFHB News, this is Benedict Jones. President Joe Biden urged governors to follow his lead by pardoning those convicted for simple possession of cannabis. As I said when
3: I ran for president, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. It's already legal in many states, and criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, and educational opportunities. And that's before you address the racial disparities around who suffers the consequences. While white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. So today, I'm taking three steps to end this failed approach. First, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Second, I'm calling on all governors to do the same for state marijuana possession offenses. Third, the federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than fentanyl. Makes no sense. So I'm asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate a process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Even as federal and local regulations of marijuana change, important limitations on trafficking, marketing, and underage sales should stay in place. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right
1: these wrongs. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb said he would not follow suit with President Biden. In a statement, Holcomb said, quote, the president should work with congress not around them to discuss changes to the law federally especially if he is requesting governors to overturn the work local prosecutors have done by simply enforcing the law until these federal changes occur i cannot in good conscience consider issuing blanket pardons for all such offenders end quote according to the marijuana policy project indiana is one of 13 states who have no effective medical cannabis law and one of 19 states that still imposes jail time for simple possession of cannabis. Under the current law, possession of a single joint is punishable by up to a year of incarceration and a fine of up to $5,000. The American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana reported that both black people and white people use cannabis at similar rates. However, black Hoosiers are 3.5 times more likely to be arrested for cannabis possession than white Hoosiers. Meanwhile, Governor Holcomb has previously stated that he's against the legalization of cannabis because it's federally listed as a Schedule I drug. If the federal law changes, Holcomb said he would consider amending the state's cannabis policy. According to data from the ACLU, 81% of Hoosiers support legalizing cannabis either recreationally or medically.
2: On Sunday, Republican Senator Todd Young faced off in a debate against Democrat Tom McDermott and Libertarian James Seniak ahead of the November election. Candidates clashed over reproductive rights, federal spending and cannabis reform during Sunday's debate. Senator Young criticised President Biden's administration and the Democratic-controlled Congress during his opening remarks.
3: As Hoosiers watch from their living rooms this evening, we know that they are hurting. They are hurting as a result of the multi-trillion dollar tax and spend policies of the Biden administration, which have led to incredibly costly gas and and groceries, which uh, has made life unaffordable. They're hurting as a result of the open borders policy, which is polluting our towns and cities alike uh, with all sorts of illegal substances. Uh, They're hurting as, as a result of the blunders overseas, uh, which which have left Americans dead.
2: McDermott, who is currently the mayor of Hammond, distanced himself from Young by saying he doesn't accept corporate donations. He also attacked his opponent over abortion rights.
4: Unlike Senator Young, I owe no politicians in Washington, D.C., nothing. I don't take corporate PAC money. I don't take special interest money. I've been the five-term mayor for the city of Hammond. And over the last 19 years, I brought in a billion dollars in new economic development, created a nationally award-winning college scholarship program, and worked closely with my police department fighting crime in my city. I'm pro-woman, I'm pro-choice, I want to remind all the women in Indiana that Senator Young appoint, confirmed three of the justices to the US Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade, removing your civil liberties. I don't think it's right that Hoosier women are treated like second-class citizens. Senator Young told us in 2016 he was 100% against abortion with no exceptions, and he followed through by confirming three anti-choice US Supreme Court justices.
2: Seniak discussed his background and described parts of his platform during the opening
5: statement. I absolutely know what a hard work ethic is because I watched my dad work in the steel mills of Gary, Indiana, and then later at the RV factories. My mom, she was a teacher, and she showed perseverance and patience for her community. These are the skills that I took to Indianapolis when I became a behavior therapist. I work with kids with autism, and these kids have taught me more than I have taught them. They've taught me patience, community, how to overcome challenges, all things that I want to take to Washington.
2: Voters in Indiana will decide the Senate race on Election Day, which will happen on November 8th. To listen to the full debate and for more coverage on the upcoming election, please visit WFHB.org. That's all for your Statehouse Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock.
1: The Ellettsville Town Council approved the 2023 budget at their meeting on October 10th. During public comment, Ellettsville resident Steve Robertson spoke in favor of raising the salaries of government workers in the 2023 budget. Robertson explained that skilled workers need to be retained and ward warned that otherwise the town won't have anyone who could fix a water main break at 3 a.m., for example.
5: Looking at your budget, uh, looks like you're administration's interested in giving your employees a decent raise, and uh, I appreciate that because they know the importance of keeping employees and keeping reliable employees. I'm in a workforce right now, we're losing employees and we're struggling to try to keep them. it's highly unlikely that administration comes through and wants to offer their employees a raise to keep them because they know the importance to keep the city services running smoothly as they possibly can without any disruption and have qualified people, like when you have a main break at 3 o'clock in the morning and everybody's in bed, sleep, drinking coffee, and the next morning they expect when they turn on that water, they want to have water for their coffee. And I think that... uh, the town board ought to take that in consideration of the raises to keep the employees. Because there's nobody out there, I mean, you can hire people to take a place, but you don't have the quality that they got to do the job. You can get anybody out there that's breathing to fill the position. But if you, they can't do the work, you might as well not even have You might as well have an empty place. So I highly recommend the board taking consideration what the administration is telling you about keeping their employees at this time. Before you pass the budget, you look it over and agree to it. Thank you.
1: Robertson's comment received a round of applause. Next, resident and president of AFSCME, a workers union for city employees in Bloomington, Bradley Rushton, spoke in favor of the raise as well. I lived here in ellisville all my life went to high school it's my home i know that uh your folks are considering giving these fine folks that you have your employees a long long deserved raise uh i'm currently the serving president of Ask me 2487 for the city of bloomington and bloomington and i can tell you unequivocally i wish that we had the same consideration I implore you to consider it and pass it, because these people work hard every day for you to make every service available at your leisure. Thank you for your time. The board approved the 2023 budget with a vote of three to one, with Councilmember Dan Swafford dissenting. The next Ellettsville Town Council meeting will be held on October 24th.
2: At the Bloomington Utility Service Board meeting on October 10th, President of the Board, Jeff Eyman, asked about an item on the agenda regarding sump pumps. Utilities engineer Phil Pedden responded.
3: Yeah, so this is part of the uh, Clearwater Reduction Program. And we we went out and canvassed neighbourhoods along with uh, letters trying to locate sump pumps. And this was where... uh, Customers reached out to us and notified us they did have a sump pump. We had commercial services with contracted to go in, uh, locate the sump pump, and then determine uh, if it needed to be disconnected or not. And then they, they provided us with a, a suggestion on how to reroute that to, so it's not connected to the sanitary sewer. So this, this was, uh, I think, I'm not sure which invoice this was, this far, but I think there's still money
2: left on that contract as part of that. Next, Capital Projects Manager Dan Hudson shared they received one bid on the Monroe Waste Treatment Plant Filter Media Rehabilitation Project. Hudson explained what the project would finance.
6: The base bid, first of all, the base bid includes filter media replacement, replacement of any need under drains. It also includes a air handling system and uh, repairing the ceiling with structural repairs and um, all new electrical and lights. That's the base bed. The first deduct takes out the HVAC system and puts in a different HVAC system that should be cheaper to do if we want to go that direction. The second deduct takes out all the HVAC and does not include any air handling.
2: A board member asked if the air handling was critical to the project. Hudson explained why it is necessary.
6: It is. Um, we, um, there was a, a safety concern and we had the air analysed. When you do the backwash of the filters, you get a really strong chemical smell. And it was higher than the what they call the LDL, the, the LDL-50, uh, not much higher, but a little higher, but it is a non-occupied space. Uh, occasionally, an operator would go in and out, but it's enough that we thought we needed to evacuate the, the air in there, and that's why we had an HVAC system. But after further consideration, we thought maybe a different HVAC system with less duct work and... And not really made for human occupation, but just get the air out, would be the best. And um, we haven't quite decided which way we want to go, but now we have the price. And we're, um, we'd are we like to come back on uh, the 24th with our recommendation.
2: Hudson emphasized he believes this project is
6: important. This is an important project for the plant. I just wanted to bring that up. They really need their filters replaced.
2: Hudson said the utility department staff will consider the bid and come back with a recommendation for whether or not to accept the bid at the next Bloomington Utility Service Board meeting on October 24th.
1: At the October 17th meeting of the Monroe County Community Justice Response Committee, County Commissioner Julie Thomas provided a transportation update for the potential new jail site on Fullerton Pike. Thomas said the Fullerton Pike property has not been finalized as a site for the new jail and that the committee's conversations with Bloomington Transit are ongoing.
7: We do recognize the significance of transportation as an issue no matter where we are and that transportation is not something that we can move past where we are currently, which is to after having those initial discussions and some really good conversations with Bloomington Transit. Um, um, and you know they're not in a position to say, yes, we will do X, Y, Z. And we're not in a position to say, here's where our property is going to be. So we're, we're in a holding pattern. Um, and there really isn't anything else for this group to do at this point regarding transportation. We recognize it's, it's really the council and commissioners who are going to have to make this happen, because if it turns out that we cannot utilize Bloomington Transit, then we're going to have to come up with something else and pay for it. And we're perfectly um, well aware that this has to be solved. But there's nothing that can be done regarding transportation at this point until we have property. And um, and in fact, one of the key questions that comes up is about um, how, you know, would Bloomington Transit access Fullerton Pike? Well, Fullerton Pike's not even built yet. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's kind of early for a lot of these questions for them
1: um, as well. Committee member Catherine Stafford voiced concerns about the high cost of transporting inmates. County Commissioner Lee Jones said that's an issue determined by the county council, not by this committee.
7: So uh, I really appreciate the update, and uh, I'm glad to hear that there's stuff going on with Bloomington Transit. But of course, that's, I would say, maybe a third of the overall transportation concern. The bigger concern, and I think the more, um, obviously this is up to to the commissioners and council to worry about the money part of it, but... The more expensive concern is the transport of inmates. Right. And if yes. we are not going to be co-located, I think we need to start talking in, in very great detail. And that's certainly, I'll turn to Commander Crow, um, how many inmates need to be transported to court on a daily basis on average. And I think we need to know that and know the cost because that's that's going to be a real issue. That's that's
0: really something that the council um, will think about the cost and all. Yeah. Um, And we know at this point that we can't uh, co-locate immediately. So we're going to have to find a solution for that in the interim, no matter what.
1: Commissioner Thomas said that the county would likely utilize less staff at a new facility. Committee member Mary Ellen DeKoff pushed back against that comment, saying she believes the county would need to increase personnel for a new jail.
7: But we also know that We are probably going to utilize fewer staff in a new jail facility than we use in the current jail facility because of the way that it's set up. And uh, Commander Crow can probably talk to that. So so there's going to be some give and take there uh, in terms of the operational costs. But we recognize that, yes, we're going. I mean, safety is an issue. Transportation is an issue. There are a lot of aspects of it that will have to be addressed.
8: Yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just had a question about that follow up. You said we'll need less personnel with the new facility. So have we gotten to the point we've figured out the facility design? Because I think what no, we're also no, get, no, oh, okay. no, 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 I just wasn't sure how we knew there's going to be less personnel. Because I actually think because of transportation, we'll need more. And that's because if you're going to be transporting inmates between a non-co-located jail and the justice system, You're going to have to transport a large number of people on a weekly basis, which is going to incur additional costs that you're not currently accruing. Um, And in addition to that, you're probably going to have to maintain some type of personnel here for holding for periods of time for security Mm -hmm. issues, um, so I think you might actually have to increase the number of personnel. And I think the reason this is particularly relevant to the conversation is because Mr. Cockrell shared one of the first decision points that you have to make is a jail size and bed capacity. And if they're not going to have the funding to be able to co-locate for five to 10 years and you're incurring additional costs throughout those five to 10 years that you're not currently incurring, Uh, I think that impacts how big of a jail that you're going to build initially. If not, you might have some significant fiscal um, impacts that we're not taking into account, in addition just to the challenge of safely transporting individuals from one place to the other.
1: Commissioner Jones said the county, county council would determine the transportation costs once the property and design of the new jail sites are approved. Next, the committee gave an update on its substance use disorder priorities and discussed how the county plans to use funds from an opioid settlement. County Councilperson Peter Iverson said some of the funds from the settlement could be used to better treat substance abuse disorder in order to reduce recidivism rates in the jail. We have had uh, information about an audit coming down into the county to collect as much data as possible. Uh, to determine the uses of the opiate settlement money. And that will be split into those two pots of lim- limited uses and non-limited uses. And I think that's really important to talk about at this meeting because so much of what we're hearing in our jail right now is about substance use disorder and it affects recidivism and the uses of those funds can certainly help to potentially reduce recidivism rates in our jail, especially with a health focus. I think that that's going to be something that, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we're talking about that. Committee member Darcy Fawcett said that recovery programs are helpful, but they tend to delay the length of time it takes a case to move through the court system.
4: Since we were talking about data and the reports and the substance abuse, the one thing I wanted to encourage the commissioners to, I guess, be mindful of, because it was made super clear at the last meeting what, at least from my perspective, the court's, The prosecutors, the defense attorney's roles were were the continuances and the length of time it takes a case to move through the system Um, with the focus on substance abuse, which I think is huge. And from my perspective, I release people all the time to substance Mm -hmm. programs. I, I just encourage you guys to be mindful that that is going to slow the cases down even more because treatment takes time. I mean, there are programs that go anywhere from 30 days up to two and a half years. So again, I know, that, and this is getting so off topic, but Which. to some extent, if this is what we're looking at in terms of what this new jail is going to do and what programs we have um, or you want there, I would just encourage mm-hmm. you guys to be mindful of the length. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but the length of the programming that it, you know it, yes. it, it actually takes
2: to get people to, to complete. During public comment resident Tayakwa Davis said while she's supportive of new jail, she wants to see the county government tackle more mental health priorities. Davis said she recently lost her son to mental illness and substance abuse and that she reached out to the city for help to no avail.
9: My name is Tayaqua Davis. And yeah, I'm currently working on my PhD in in human services and um, social work. And um, I was invited here and I'm, I really, I'm pleased with what I'm hearing. And as I was stating, the young man was talking about mental illness and opiates and drug usage. And I recently lost my son a few days ago mm-hmm. to um, mental illness and drug, um, drug addiction. And I, for a long time, I reached out to the, the city for help. And I just felt as though that we lost the battle because the system let them down. And um, my whole focus is, the jail is great. I think building a jail, a new jail is you know, awesome. But what about a mental hospital to in-house? Our individuals that's out here walking around struggling, yeah. don't know what to do or who to turn to.
2: Joan said the state is working on the issue at the moment. She said the county is also exploring ways to provide better mental health care.
0: That's something that the state is working on also right now. And uh, it, it's an area we're going to explore we, along with the idea of a treatment centre with secure beds is that it might kind of be divided into two parts. And one part would be the secure beds and another part would be a treatment center that was more available for the public and possibly for people who are in the secure beds to then transfer to it, which would then give us access to some um, Medicaid money, which could help things out quite a bit. So we're, we're exploring those possibilities. Whatever we end up with, We really intend for there to be good treatment possibilities.
9: Yes, because years ago, we had a mental um, health facility, Mm -hmm. uh, a state hospital. And I had to admit my brother there years ago. And all I had to do was reach out. They took my brother in. And right now today, this was years ago, 25 years ago, they're still supporting him. Oh, that's- and I wish I had that support for yeah. my son.
0: The the state is really recognizing that this is a major problem. We, I guess we have one mental health hospital mm-hmm. in the state that's always completely full. So unfortunately, we end up housing people in our jail while we're waiting for them to be able to go to this. So there, I think there are better ways to do that.
2: Local resident Pamela Davidson said she also believes that mental health care is lacking in the community, and she thinks that the jail should be less populated than it currently is. This is Pamela Davidson. Hello to all of you. I think I know all of you, practically. Um, I
10: and I feel so terrible that that lovely woman just lost her son. I just want to say how sorry I am about that. That's just so terrible. I just want to say that first. Um I'm glad you're all working on this. I'm glad that health and substance abuse and treatment and the mentally ill are all very important because they really are. That's the majority population in our jail. We know that the state of Indiana years ago said, we're going to build some mental illness uh, facilities and house more people. They never did it. We're worse off now than 10 years or so ago when they announced that. So that is a dearth. And Lee, you're right, there's a, a shortage of people who can work in those facilities and are available. But I love that goal. You're so right. The jail has to have treatment options, programming, all those things. We just read recidivism is really high and there's a darn good reason for that, a darn deliberate lack of alternative options. I love the guy who just spoke a minute ago because we heard that too many continuances was in that jail study. They said there's way too many kick the can down the road on the court proceedings. So, Lee, I know you all can't affect that, but the judges and the prosecutors ought to turn that ship around because that's a huge, big problem and the study revealed it. But one of the things I've been very concerned about, and this is my second time to listen and I'll listen again. I should be there. But I wished, as you collect data, there was a study that looked at uh, who are we jailing, even temporarily, for nonviolent, minor, minor things. Versus who are we jailing for violent, they should be there, they're a danger to society or to others. The majority of people we all know that are nonviolent people, and that would be the substance abuse, and that would be the mentally ill, absolutely so. But there's minor, minor, minor things. So as you're looking at data collection, I surely hope there'd be some kind of light shown on Are we arresting and jailing quality or quantity? Because I think it's quantity. Uh, When I've gone to the Justice Building and gone upstairs and looked at the scroll of cases, and those are criminal eviction, other things, it's horrifying. It's horrifying how many pages there are and how overburdened. So let's try to stop some of the traffic say, let's stop putting those people in. Otherwise, the jail will be full immediately. It'll be full before it's built. If, If we do not change our viewfinder as to who we incarcerate at all and get that message out to the law enforcement, we will be exactly in the same spot we are now. So that's my point. I see my time's out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's try to house fewer nonviolent people. We shouldn't be. It's lifelong trauma. We all know it. Thank you.
2: WFHB News will continue to follow and provide updates on the new jail in the next coming weeks. The Community Justice Response Committee will meet again at 4.30pm in a hybrid capacity on November 7th.
1: Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.